So today we conclude our series, Romans chapter 8, the greatest chapter in the entire Bible on the absolute security of every single Christ follower. And what that means is essentially this. If you are secure, grounded in the things of Christ, knowing that you are deeply loved by God, that has a spillover effect impacting virtually every single area of your life. When you know that you are deeply loved by God, you certainly want to engage in a lifestyle of worship. You want to serve other people out of gratitude for what God has done for you. You want to grow in your faith, have fellowship with other believers, share the gospel with neighbors and friends. So each of the five purposes of the church get impacted as you and I grow in our understanding of God's love for us in Christ. Worship, service, fellowship, spiritual growth, outreach, or evangelism. But in addition to all of those things, we also experience a sense of inner peace that enables us to deal with a lot of the anxieties of life. Doesn't mean that we're anxious free necessarily, but when you know in your heart of hearts that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, there's a settled state that occurs in your heart. And in addition to all of those things, you find out who you are. You know your identity and your value and your worth, that it's not gonna come from the car that you drive or the size of your investment portfolio or where you live or your job title or anything that this culture can give to you. You've discovered your identity and your value and worth in the person of Jesus Christ and his work on your behalf. So in light of all of that, we now come to the Apostle Paul's final imagined objection or challenge to this thesis of his that committed followers of Jesus are secure in their understanding of God's grace and forgiveness. So with that in mind, I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's truth today recorded here in Romans chapter 8 verses 35 through 39. Let's hear God's word. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does anybody want to say amen? amen. <laughs> you may be seated. Yeah. So since verse 31 of this chapter, Paul has been raising a series of questions with each one pointing to a different possible challenge that might come to this thesis concerning our security. So here's a chart that kind of summarizes the key questions that we've been going over. The first two we considered together. What then shall we say in response to these things? That these things that Paul has in mind, everything is said in verses 1 to 30. 
about our security in Christ. No condemnation. The Spirit of God lives in us. We are the adopted children of God. God foreknew us, predestined us, called us, justified us, and will glorify us. What do we say in response to all of these things? Well, his answer was to raise yet another question. Who can be against us? Essentially asking, is there any conceivable power or force out there that can undermine our security by being against us? And his answer was to say, that's never going to happen because God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Third question, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Well, will he? Is he going to graciously give us all things? Maybe his love for us will weaken or be diminished in some fashion, and so we learn that's never going to happen. Why not? Because God, he had this argument, remember, moving from the greater to the lesser. If God did the greater thing of not sparing his own son, but delivering him up for us all, Paul says he's certainly going to do the comparatively lesser, easier thing of graciously giving us all that we need to preserve us in Jesus Christ. So last week, Devin led us in considering two more questions. Both of them are legal issues. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And who is he that condemns? Is that even possible? Somebody on the day of judgment is going to raise an accusation and you and I will once again fall under condemnation. Is that even a possibility? No, he said, no, why not? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life with a resurrection, vindicating all of Jesus' claims and the stamp of God's approval on the death of Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for you, He's now at the right hand of God, and what is he doing there? Interceding for us. Jesus prays for the application of his blood sacrifice to your life constantly. So, who's going to bring a charge against us? Nobody. So now we come to the final challenge that Paul imagines being raised against this whole element of our security, and then he's going to close things off with a climax to the entire chapter. So that's where we're going today, looking at those two things as your sermon notes indicate. First of all, we have the final challenge to our security. And once again, it's put in the form of a question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, in order to understand the question, we need to ask a couple questions of the question. All right, so here's the first of two. Who's the who? To whom does this who refer? Well, it certainly would include Satan, would it not? By the way, the word Satan in Hebrew translated Satan, but that Hebrew word means adversary. He's your adversary. He's against you. And he's described in Revelation 12.10 as the accuser of the brothers and sisters. If you recall the story of Job, how he, Satan brought accusations to God against Job, that's what Satan loves to do for you and for me as well. So he's against us. But in addition, there's another who. You know who that other who is? You and me. We're often against ourselves, believing lies, you know, 
debilitating thoughts that we play in our minds about how poor representatives we are of Jesus and how if we really want to maintain the love of God, we have to perform a lot better than we do. And so we begin to be, believe these lies. So in answer to the who, yeah, they're Satan's against us and at times we're even against ourselves. But there's another question that needs to be asked about the question. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, who's that talking about? Whose love is in view here? Is it my love for Christ or is it Christ's love for me? Well, if Paul is asking the question, who shall separate you, Rich, from the love that God or Christ has for you, the answer is just about anybody and anything. Because my love is very, you know, it goes up and down. It, it tends to be weak and, you know, it fluctuates. Strong maybe one minute, but certainly weaker many other times. But I want to show you that's not what he's talking about. In fact, all through this chapter, there's not a single phrase that's used that emphasizes that your security is based on who you are or what you do. Not even your faith. It's all about what he does. And we see that here as well. So there's proof in the text that he's talking about Christ's love for us. How do I know that? Well, look at the answer that Paul gives in verse 37. And all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. So he's really asking the question, can the love of Christ for us stand the tests that he's about to mention? I can't. But how about him? So, what are the possible forces then that might threaten to undo us and sever us from the love of Christ? Well, he mentions seven possibilities. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Now, the first three of these, trouble, hardship, persecution, represent the external pressures that come from a hostile non-Christian society. So in other countries of our world today, these pressures may include the loss of your property, imprisonment, waterboarding, psychological abuse, could even include execution, because on average, four to 6,000 believers every single year lose their lives for no other reason than they want to remain faithful to Jesus, and they're not going to reject him, even in the face of the possibility of death. Now, for us, in our culture, you know, it could mean the verbal put-downs we get from social media. It could be not getting the promotion you were in store to get because it's now known you're a Christ follower. Or maybe it's some spouse or family member who's totally upset with you. You're one of these Jesus people. You belong probably to some cult. You've become a religious fanatic. And uh, I don't like it. And so they're against you as well. So can trouble, hardship, persecution separate us from the love of Christ? How about the next two we mentioned, famine or nakedness because of poverty? Or how about the last two, danger or sword, that it would be the risk of death or even its experience? So these are some possibilities, right? Then to make matters even worse, Paul has to quote an Old Testament verse, Psalm 44, 22, that says, as it is written, God, for your sake, 
We face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now you notice the people in view here are not being persecuted because, well, because essentially they have forgotten the Lord or turned against him. No, they remain loyal. That's why they're suffering. For your sake, we face death all day long. So Paul adds this quote more than likely to emphasize his point. You know, these trials are nothing new. Suffering for Jesus, nothing new. Believers even back in the days of the Old Testament faced these things. Seven difficulties. And I'm wondering this morning, what would you want to add to this list? Maybe some of you would like to add dementia. Wow, can dementia separate me, my family, loved one from the love of Christ? How about mental illness? Anybody want to add mental illness? Possibility of suicide, depression, anxiety issues? Maybe you've gone through a messy divorce or you know, you're dealing still with the death of a parent or a spouse or one of your kids or having someone, maybe a parent, can repeatedly tell you, you know, you're worthless. You don't do anything right. What in the world is the matter with you anyway? You're just not good enough. So these are real, unpleasant, painful, hard to bear issues. Yes, they are. But that's not the question. The question is not, are these painful issues? The question is, can any of these things separate us from the love that Jesus Christ has for you and for me? So what's the answer? Verse 37. No. In all these things, trouble, hardship, persecution, all of these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. We aren't simply enabled to hang on barely to Christ. Oh no, we're more than conquerors, he says. We're secure no matter what the difficulty might happen to be. Not because, again, of our love for Christ, but because of Christ's love for you and for me. I want you to see that this morning as I turn your attention to two other passages of Scripture, both in the Gospel of John, that emphasize our security is rooted in Jesus Christ. The first passage is John chapter 6, verses 37 to 40. Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. All that the Father gives me. So once again, we're reminded of a people given to Christ. That's the whole meaning we saw a few weeks ago of the word the foreknow. It means to love beforehand. God set his love on a certain people. He selected them out and he gave them to Christ. All that the Father gives me will come to me so that there's something effectual about this. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose some of them, no, none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. That's at the end of history. So they're going to come to me now. I'm going to preserve them all the way to the very last day, the end of history. For my Father's will is that all who look to the Son and believe in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So there are a people given by God the Father to the Son. These people, in fact, come to him. 
He's going to keep them. He's not going to lose any of them. He's going to raise them up at the last day. In fact, in the Greek, there's a double negative here, which can be translated like this. Whoever comes to me, I will never, ever drive away or cast out. Wow. Isn't that security because of his grip on you and me? All right. Another passage, John chapter 10. So beginning at verse 27, prior to this, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. Then he said, you know what? You people don't believe in me. You know why? You're not part of my sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. I'm not laying down my life for you. You're not part of my sheep. Well, who are the sheep? Well, he says, verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. Remember what the word know means? to love, to have affection for, to know intimately. I love them, they follow me, I give them eternal life, they shall never perish, no one can snatch them out of my hand, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now to illustrate what these verses mean, I understand that in rough carpentry, that the carpenter will, you know, nail a couple of boards together and send the nail maybe through both pieces of wood and then bend it over into embedding it into the wood on the dark on the back side. It's a way of, of making the joint of the wood even more secure. It's called clinching the nail. Now if I do it, it's a mistake, but you know, if a carpenter does it, there's a purpose behind it. But at any rate, here Jesus nails this truth of our security. Two nails, and each one gets clinched. Let me show you. Here's the first nail. He says, I give them eternal life. Well, how can you lose it if it's eternal? You can't. But then he clinches that nail. They shall never perish. There's a second nail. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Here comes the clincher. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Now to change the analogy, let's say that this tube of chapstick represents your life. What this is saying is, if this hand represents the hand of Christ, I've got you right here. You're secure in my hand. No one can snatch you out of my hand. And oh, by the way, the Father's hand is over the whole thing. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand either. So our difficult circumstances, painful and difficult though they be, cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Paul, again, has destroyed another possible objection. Thank you, Paul. But there's more to the story because now we come to the closing climax of this entire chapter. And I want to begin, that is, looking at this closing chapter, the final chapter, that it's the greatest chapter in the Bible on the absolute security of every Christian, that chapter. I want to uh, illustrate the impact of these final verses for you. The year is 1631, the country is Scotland, and an old now blind, retired pastor of many, many years, theologian, writer by the name of Robert Bruce. He knows he's dying, he's blind. 
And so he gathers his adult children together. They're having a final breakfast, final meal together. When he asks that his daughter, one of his daughters, will go grab a Bible. So she grabs a Bible, brings it back, and he says, Turn to the Eighth of Romans. And he begins to quote this entire chapter from the very first verse from memory. Comes down to the last two verses that we're now going to look at. And he says to his daughter, I want you to read these words. So this is what she reads. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this blind, dying man says, take my finger, daughter, and place it on these words. And she does. And with the finger still there, he says, we've had breakfast together. Tonight, I will sup with my Savior. I die believing in these words. And later that day, he passed away. Friends, these are verses that can certainly enable you to die in faith and assurance. More than that, these are verses that can help us to live in faith and assurance. They begin with Paul making this tremendous statement, for I am convinced. Now, he deliberately uses what is called here a perfect tense, which may not mean a whole lot to just about most of us, I guess. But it essentially is describing an action of the past that has continuous impact into the present. So it's as if he's saying, I have become and remain convinced. Of what? Paul, that your life, your circumstances are going to improve? No. That nothing will ever be able to separate him or us from the love of God. Now the us here is important to notice. This is not an us for everybody. This is an us that includes, as we've seen, those foreknown, predestined, called, justified. Those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's the us. But why does he add this phrase, in Christ Jesus our Lord? Why doesn't he just say, nothing can separate us from the love of God, period? Why this addition, in Christ Jesus our Lord? It's a final reminder to us that everything we have, we have in and through Jesus Christ. But Paul isn't done yet. I mean, he's, he's raised question after question, dealing with all of these possible challenges to our faith. Each one has been addressed. So it's as if the, Paul, the apostle says, okay, maybe there's something else out there. And he lists 10 additional possible things that can separate us. They can be grouped together. There are four pairs that he gives us, and then two others are sort of on their own. So the first pair, neither death nor life. Listen, can death separate you from Christ's love for you? Do you know what's going to happen to you the moment you stop breathing? There's no more brain act wave activity, and somebody has pronounced you dead. What happens next? You know? According to scripture, the word death means separation. There's a separation that occurs the exact second of death. 
separation of the non-material part of you, your soul or spirit, which includes self-awareness, consciousness, your mind with which you think, your emotions with which you feel, your will by which you make decisions, self-awareness, consciousness, separates from your physical body, that is placed in some kind of grave or gets cremated, while your soul spirit goes into the presence of Christ where it is perfected. No more sin or suffering. Theologians call it the intermediate state. Not an intermediate place between heaven and hell, but an intermediate state between your death and your future bodily resurrection. You're gonna get a brand new body when Jesus returns and soul and body will be together again throughout eternity. So is it possible that death is gonna sever you from Christ? Look at 2 Timothy 1.10. Christ Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. No, no it can't, death can't. How about life? How about life where a spouse walks out on you and the kids? Or how about life where a child rebels and doesn't want anything to do with Jesus? Or how about life with its disappointments? Will not life and all of its difficulties ultimately destroy us? No, why not? Jesus is the Lord of life. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth and the life. No. All right, there's a second pair. Neither angels nor demons. Now probably the reference to angels here needs to be understood as evil angels, because certainly good angels are not about to try to separate us from, from the Lord. So here are these demonic, superhuman agents, but Colossians 2.15 tells us Jesus has triumphed over them. 1 Peter 3.22 says they are in submission to him. They can't harm you. How about the third pair, time? present, future issues, the things that bother me today, the things that could happen to me this week. How about the fourth pair, space, neither height nor depth. I like the way songwriter puts it, Augustus Toplady in a hymn, A Debtor to Mercy Alone. Look, just listen to this stanza. He mentions four of these that I've just gone over. Things future, nor things that are now, nor all things below or above can make him his purpose forego or sever my soul from his love. My name from the palms of his hands eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace. Wow. Well, between those pairs, time and space, we read of unspecified powers, maybe referring as one translation renders it, the forces of the universe, who knows what those are about. But then Paul says, you know what, I can't think of anything else, but let me just add this, anything else in all creation. I mean, what could possibly be added? Death, life, demonic forces, time, space, powers, pretty much sums it all up, doesn't it? So what's his answer? Verse 39, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, this phrase, Christ Jesus our Lord, takes us back to the cross. If you ever struggle with doubts, feelings of insecurity, thinking I just don't measure up, and you begin to believe these debilitating lies, go back to the cross.
and what Jesus did for you. Again, Augustus Top Lady in a different hymn says, Payment God cannot twice demand. First at my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine, that would be double jeopardy. Jesus paid. Past sin, sin, present sin, future sin, sins that you and I haven't even thought about yet. He's paid the debt. So Paul says, I don't know about you guys, but I've reasoned it out. I mean, it's not as though I've come to a snap decision here or that I'm, you know, not facing reality. No, I mean, I know that life is hard. It's been hard for me, he could say. But in light of who God is and what God has done in and through the person of Jesus Christ, I am convinced. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what are the takeaways from this entire series? I want to mention three. First of all, we need the security of which this chapter speaks. Many of us live in deep insecurity. We believe the lies that Satan would, and we tell ourselves about, we're just no good. We don't measure up. We're not very good representatives of Jesus. All of this garbage, we tend to believe those things. And then, of course, in addition, nothing seems stable in our world anymore, right? Nothing. And you know why? Nothing is stable. The only thing that is stable is the Christian message that God is with us and nothing can separate us. He's going to bring you all the way home. He's committed to that. So think on these things often. Number two, the only people entitled to such security are authentic Christians. So the passage begins, verse 1, no condemnation, ends no separation. And we might tend to think, well, that probably applies to every professing Christian, right? No. There are people that make professions of faith who walk away from Jesus, don't want anything to do with him. Again, it's for those that God foreknew, on whom he set his love and predestined and in time called into a relationship with himself and justified by faith. So we need to be aware of the fact that those who are or have the right to security and assurance are those who give evidence of a transformed life. They love Jesus. They love his people. And they have a faith focus on Christ. And out of love, they long, imperfect though it be, to obey him. We need this security but it's only for those who are authentic Christians. And finally, our security as Christians is rooted in the sovereign love of God. By sovereign, I mean God made his selection. He's the sovereign king, and that means you're a Christian by divine choice. His choice is based on love, so he can say, as he does in this chapter, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We're more than conquerors through him who loved us, Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The love of God chose you. The love of God is displayed in the cross. And the love of God is never going to let you go. It's no wonder, then, that Paul would end this chapter with his final challenge and closing climax by saying, 
I'm convinced. Are you? I hope you are. And I hope you now have a better understanding as to why it is that Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible on the absolute security of every authentic Christian. May you come back to this chapter often. When life is tough and you're hurting, come back to Romans 8. And as you as a church move into a new season under new leadership, may Romans 8 and its truths continue to mark the way. God bless you, City Church. Let's pray. Oh, Father, may your word refresh us and warm us and heal us and convince us. And may we sense that no matter what has been going on in our lives or ever will happen to any of us in the future, you are for us. And therefore, nothing ultimately can be against us. May we know by faith that nothing can separate us from your incredible love. Pain can't, disappointment can't, tragedy can't, yesterday, today, tomorrow can't, the loss of a loved one can't, our death can't, problems can't, dementia, insanity, poverty, disease, disability, none of these things or all of them put together can change the fact that we are your deeply loved, completely forgiven children, now and forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.